0: When my dad was in New York City and my brother, 9-11 had occurred. And that took a really big toll on many families. And for cultural families, specifically those that were Muslim or Sikh, there was a stereotype perpetrated against them because of the beliefs that were being spread. The people who committed the attacks were part of a certain religious group. And after that, many people started attacking those religious groups or people that other people that resembled those beliefs. And so one way to identify someone who practices SIGCHI is by their turban and their beard. And so people were being attacked days after the attacks of 9-11, someone was killed. And so it was just a very dangerous time for someone that had a turban and a beard that lived in New York City. And so my dad actually ended up cutting his hair. So he didn't have a turban anymore. And then he, he shaved his beard.
1: In a corporate world, where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work. The employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other.
2: Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt sized company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America.
1: Hi. I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palacio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Como Core. Como is the founder of Eye of an Immigrant, a 501 nonprofit organization committed to sharing the stories of the immigrant journey and to providing resources and funds for immigrants to gain a legal pathway to citizenship. Como is a freshman at the University of Kansas majoring in political science and business administration, with a minor in intelligence and national security studies on the pre-law track in the honors program. At the University of Kansas, she is a student senator, serving on the Finance Council, and a member of the South Asian Student Association Executive Board. Before starting college, Como was deeply involved in youth activism and involvement in local government she served as the two-time chair of the olathe teen council and interned in the city manager's office at the city of olathe her senior year Como's family immigrated from Punjab, india to the united states in the late 1980s she was born and raised in queens new york and moved to olathe kansas in 2017. if you are moved by Como's inspirational story of helping immigrants you can donate to Eye of an Immigrant, that's E-Y-E of an Immigrant Let's listen as Jeff talks to Komal.
2: Komal, welcome to the Corporate Couch.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
2: Yeah, this is an honor for me and hopefully an honor for you. You're the youngest <laughs> guest ever on the Corporate Couch. Uh, would you like to tell the audience... How old you are?
0: I am 18 years old.
2: 18. I just turned 18 in December, too. So here we go. We're recording (laughs) here in April 12th of 2023. So, yeah, this is exciting. Uh, Full disclosure, Kamala is also my boss. I work for her at the not-for-profit that she started Last year, officially called "I of an Immigrant," we'll talk more about that. So uh, I have to be on my best behavior because I want to. I want to make, make sure I get a good performance rating uh, at the end of the year <laughs> in terms of my performance at "I of the Immigrant." I'm I was the first board member and the secretary officially. So it's a hard job. They edit my stuff all the time that I put together, but it's all good. So I would like to start off with some fun questions, and you're the generation that went well, you went to high school during the pandemic yep. um so um this should be interesting so i asked every guest what is the craziest attire or lack of attire you've ever seen someone wear on a zoom call
0: oh um probably high school zoom classes we had some questionable attire and questionable backgrounds i mean people like had their rooms showing, which is totally fine. They had their what um, showing? Like their background, like their room. Oh, yeah, sure. well. yeah, And so like, just flags that were questionable, decor that was questionable. We had a lot of uh, guys join shirtless, like rolling out of bed. So
2: <laughs>
0: that was probably the craziest, thought. I love it.
2: I love it. Yeah. And yeah. People were in their bed laying, you know. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember I would roll out of bed and just join because i mean what else what else were we supposed to do
2: right god yeah that's crazy um, yeah. so most people i ask this question they're already kind of uh later in their adult years so you, you, um, <laughs> but when you were growing up in queens new york which of course makes you a, a new york jets fan i mean all people from queens <laughs> new york jets fans but what did you want to be when you grew up
0: yeah so I always wanted to be a teacher. I loved like just being able to help in that aspect of like sharing my knowledge of what I'd already known. So growing up, up until like till fourth grade, I wanted to be a teacher. And then at that time is like when I feel like a lot of kids really start learning that there's more out there than being a firefighter and being, you know, a teacher or like whatever, like the basic things we learn about growing up. And so that in fourth grade, I kind of didn't want to be a teacher anymore. And I said, I wanted to do something that would help people. I didn't know what that would look like. I started getting into like government and started looking into like becoming a police officer or like, um, working for the FBI or CIA and like that stuff really intrigued me. And then high school was when I kind of narrowed that down to politics and law school. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, most people are well into their career. Uh, yeah. I think the uh, I've interviewed people in their 30s through their 60s. Uh, I haven't hit the 20 year olds yet, but I have some people that are uh, pending invites. But
0: Well, you hit the teens. <laughs> here I know,
2: that, and you might be the only one. We'll see. I mean, you never say never. Yeah. So you and I met, and I'll say met, because uh, you were on Randy Palace podcast and I was just amazed at your poise and what you were trying to do. Um, you were presenting uh, your idea for a not-for-profit and you're presenting to some of Kansas City as well as uh, people nationwide that attended Randy's podcast uh, where you allowed uh, not only interviewing the guests, but he invited other people so they can ask questions, and you were just so poised and you know and you were seventeen at the time, and I just said, "God, if I was seventeen and a senior in high school and had to do a presentation like that i 'd be sweating through seven shirts in those you know thirty minutes that you presented, and you were just so great, I was just so moved." By you and what you were doing. And so why don't you explain uh, the not-for-profit, Ivan, of, of an immigrant and, you know, give the story and what was your why in, in terms of starting it?
0: Yeah. Um, well, so I was born and raised, like you said, in Queens, New York. My parents are immigrants from a northern state in India called Punjab. And they came here in the late 80s into the 90s because of the Sikh genocide. The Indian government was killing people that practiced a Sikh religion, and that was predominantly in the northern state of India, which was Punjab. In 1984, there was a huge attack against uh, or on our holiest site, which was the Golden Temple. And after that was when the spur of the genocide kind of was on a launch, I would say. And that's when my parents decided that, or my, my grandparents decided that their kids needed to leave. And so my mom and dad were arranged to get married. They were, my mom is a middle child. My dad is the youngest on their sides. So they were arranged to get married. And the goal was for my dad to figure out where he wanted to go, find like the end goal or the end city he wanted to land in and then have my mom come after him. So he was town hopping in Europe for a while. And then when he found out that there was a family friend in New York City, he wanted to go to New York City because there would be more support than he ever had while he was in Europe. So he made it to New York City. My mom followed um, a year after and they were both arranged to get married, got married and stayed in New York City up until 2017. So they had my brother in 1999 and me in 04 and growing up in New York City was Very cool. I loved it. It was very different from the childhood of someone in Kansas or even Missouri. It was just a really unique childhood. Coming to KU now, going to high school in Kansas, I have a very unique perspective on like just growing up. However, at that time, when my parents and when my dad was in New York City and my brother, 9-11 had occurred. And that took a really big toll on many families, many Americans. And for cultural families, specifically those that were Muslim or Sikh, there was a stereotype perpetrated against them because of just the beliefs that were being spread. The people who committed the attacks were part of a certain religious group, and after that, many people started attacking those religious groups or People that other people that resembled those beliefs. And so one way to identify someone who was a Muslim was by their turban. One way to identify someone who practices Sikhi is by their turban and their beard. And so people were being attacked. Days after the attacks of 9-11, someone was killed, Balbir Singh Sohdi was killed for his beliefs, uh, for practicing his religious beliefs of Sikhi by someone who said that he wanted to get revenge. And so it was just a very dangerous time for someone that had a turban and a beard that lived in New York City. And so my dad actually ended up cutting his hair. So he didn't have a turban anymore. And then he he shaved his beard. So it was a rough time, but eventually after I was born, he came to the realization that he left home, a place that should have been of security, of safeguard, a place of comfort to come to a new country so that he can practice his religion so he can live freely. Um, you know. Uh, embrace those American ideals and for him to live or feel that he had to hide that feel scared of that he kind of came to the realization that he didn't need to do that and so in order to teach my brother and I that we're in a country where we can embrace who we want to be he started regrowing his hair and his turban and has been ever since and so also growing up as a child of immigrants we I saw my brother and I saw our parents go through a lot of challenges, whether it was financial challenges, whether it was legal challenges with the immigration system, whatever it was, we witnessed that. And my brother and I were the ones that were the translators, you know, whenever some high level legal document came into the mail that no 12 year old should be translating, my brother and I were the ones translating those documents for our parents. So just those experiences, and then moving to Kansas, I realized I wanted to do something with immigration. I wanted to help immigrants. I didn't know what that looked like, but I just I just knew I wanted to do something. And so junior year of high school, um, I did this internship through Startland in Kansas City, where we prototyped ideas of social entrepreneurship to see, to pick an issue we were passionate about, and then come out with like a design to fix that issue And so I chose immigration. And through that internship, we had launched a storytelling campaign to share immigrant stories. I don't shy away from it. A lot of times in media, when you hear immigration, you hear Mexico, you hear about the drug cartels, you hear about the border. Okay, but there's more to that narrative, and there's more to that story of immigration and who immigrants are. And so starting a storytelling campaign to put a face to those stories, to share the authentic experiences of immigrants in specifically in Kansas City. Um, so we started doing that and it started gaining a lot of momentum. And so after that, we decided to become a 501c3 nonprofit organization, incorporate in the state of Kansas. And with that 501c3, we wanted to fund the filing fees for immigrant families and for their applications. So when you come to the United States, you have to, whatever you want to do to adjust your status, you have to go through an application process through citizenship and immigration services. And so if you want to work legally, you have to get your job authorization card, which is around $400. If you want to get a green card to become a permanent resident, that's about $1,500, If you want to become a citizenship, that's also around that range. And so a very costly endeavor, especially if you're doing it as a family, on top of the legal fees that you have to pay if you have an attorney. Also on top of the financial barriers you may have because you are a new person in a new country. And so we decided to fund those filing fees for immigrant families. And so, yeah, that's kind of where we are. We had our launch party Last year in November, um, which was a great turnout, was super excited to see a lot of our um, supporters and a lot of community members who didn't know about the organization come out and learn about the organization. And we're planning another big event for the end of this year. So it's exciting to see the momentum and the support behind helping immigrants build a legal pathway to citizenship.
2: Yeah, phenomenal. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, We're the Immigrant in a second, but I just want to go back to your uh, parents. You know, they come here in the late 80s uh, because of genocide in, in their in their town and, you know, moving to a brand new country to build a brand new life. Right. And it, it probably it's somewhat acclimated in uh, September 11th, 2001. Right, they've been here about a decade, give or take, and not that it wasn't hard or anything like that. But you know, and then they experience you know discrimination, and you know the the being racial profile because they look like the terrorists, which obviously they're not, and they're and and, and that that traumatic experience, and um, you know, your what your father did in terms of you know basically taking away, you know, a big part of his identity, you know, so he can continue living and not be a target and be a father and a, and a a husband Uh, is just phenomenal that those two things that he went through. So it's amazing. But obviously, that was a big part of your, you know, you know, you're just mature and wise beyond your years. But yeah, you would be if you start reading legal documents, because you're, you know, you're, you can, you know, interpret the English better than they can and the written words. So when you're you're reading those documents at 10 or 12, I mean, that's just amazing. Um, So I think you have, you know, a a lot of help in terms of, um, you know, just things. You know, I love uh, this, how everything came together and that's kind of a common theme Amongst my guests in terms of they, you know, they didn't know exactly what to do, but things came together because they knew they had to do something, Uh, whether that was be in the remote jungle in Costa Rica to write their book like Tabitha Scott did or Brad Douglas was drawn to D.C., he didn't know why. Then he ended up 12 years in in the in the Clinton and Bush administrations in the uh, SBA uh, program. so uh, tell us some of the things that just happened because you had this vision.
0: Um, well, the first would be getting our five hundred one c three. I mean, even for that, there's a filing fee, and you know, I'm I'm a junior in high school, so I, I don't really know if I could rack up however much that was. I think it was about like five hundred dollars. So yeah, I mean, one was just getting that filed, and two, it was like I don't, I don't know how to file for a 501c3. I don't know how to incorporate in the state as anything. And so during one of our presentations that we were just giving to people that supported Startland and their internship and their projects, um, at the end we had someone come up and he was like, hey, I used to work for this law firm. I know someone, they have this pro bono division, like they can probably help you. And I was like, sure, like let, connect me and like, I'd love to see if they can, they can help. And so He ended up uh, connecting us, and it was Hush Blackwell. It was their uh, pro bono services to help, um, I believe, minority communities. And they did our 501c3. They filed it, and they set a super strong foundation in terms of the legal framework that goes into becoming a nonprofit. So um, having your articles, having your bylaws, you know the attorney and I went back and forth on revising those and making sure that we edited them to have a strong foundation as a nonprofit and have safeguards in place. So that was kind of one thing that just happened. Also out of that, we had from someone from Startland, she was in the Overland Park South Rotary Club. And so she was like, you guys need to come present to my Rotary Club. Like this would be awesome. So we went and, you know, we're 17 years old and we're just talking our talk about all the great things we want to do some feasible, some not. And out of that presentation, we had one of our biggest mentors come out and say he wanted to help us, which was Mike Meyer. And ever since then, he's been mentoring us through this process. He has his own nonprofit called um, band of angels and they provide music instruments, camp scholarships to kids who need them. And so having that Mentorship was super helpful in this whole process of becoming a nonprofit. And then, with that, the filing fees still weren't covered. We sure we found an attorney who can do it, which is great, but we still don't have the money. And so, he, someone else in the Overland Park South Rotary Club, said that if Mike mentored us and helped us in this process, she would pay for the fees to file. And so, We didn't know like that was a deal they had. So we just reached out to Mike to be like, hey, yes, we need your help. Like, so guide us, mentor us. And he was like, oh, so this is something that might be of use to you guys. And so that was just kind of another thing that happened. And then I would also say going on Randy Powell's podcast and meeting you. I mean, you're our first board member for any nonprofit organization. It's important to have a... Solid board, especially when you're starting a board that can support you, that can guide you, that's actively involved. And so, being on that show, meeting our first board member, finding someone who is passionate about serving, who is passionate about the same things that we are, that was super cool. And also, like in all of those experiences, and like you said, I'm the youngest that's been on this podcast. In all those experiences, it's already hard in itself being. A 17 year old trying to enter this world of whether entrepreneurship, whether it's social or for business, whatever it is. And so being able to find people that actually support you and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Like you can actually do that. That was super empowering. And so I would say, like, those are just some examples of just things that happened that kind of helped us form this nonprofit.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was passionate about it from one, just I'd love. Your idea and the energy and just, you know, being 17 um, and I just thought it was phenomenal. I'm I'm first generation born in the U.S. uh, on my dad's side and my grandmother died at 92 and she was never a U.S. citizen. So, I mean, it's uh, and our backyard's attached, and I'd lived with my grandparents for a year growing up, and she never spoke English. And,
0: yeah. you
2: know, it's, uh, you know, they all would talk Italian around my grandmother, and uh, I never learned Italian, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I, I have to ask, well, first question you've mentioned Startland a couple of times. So, for those people not familiar with Startland, uh, can you just yeah, give a brief description.
0: So, um, so there's Startland News. So it's, um, it's they report and do articles too. And then another part of Startland is Startland Education. And they are trying to kind of change the way we approach education and provide more real-world learning experiences in schools, outside of schools, through their internship programs. And so I did their internship program outside of school. So, yeah, it was just it's they're focused on providing those experiences that are authentic and real and applicable once you graduate high school.
2: Yeah, that's phenomenal. I actually didn't know about the education part. until I heard your story. I'm familiar with Starland News because I follow the startup community from a business perspective. So and then I have to ask. So. You are phenomenal in terms of your poise and public speaking. Did you ever have a formal course on it? Or who was your mentor, if if that's not the case?
0: so No, I never took a public speaking class. Yeah, I, I never did. I think the one thing that did really help me in public speaking was taking debate. Uh so I was a high school debater. I did policy debate for those people out there who are debaters. I also did congressional debate. And so in those experiences you learn how to essentially talk and become a public speaker. You know, there's you're debating and there's a judge in front of you who's who's telling you what you're doing good and what you're not doing great. And so being able to use like, use those experiences and just become a better speaker through tournament through tournaments that i participated in a lot of debate is coming up with things in the moment and so that really helped with the public speaking aspect
2: yeah it's fun I uh, just my son uh, went to a uh, Olathe uh, school district and I actually was a judge at a couple of debate tournaments because he did it but I know nothing about debate they gave me some <laughs> rudimentary things to for the criteria but uh no it's just i am just so impressed with your public speaking it's phenomenal you know the just every time i've heard you you've been on fox 4 news to promote uh, our cause um, as well as the launch party talking in front of 50 people uh, live with you know no notes and no presentation materials just phenomenal Um, yeah so i'd like to um, uh, dive in a little bit on You're impressive, you know, so you just started at KU in August of uh, uh, 2022. Now we're again here in April of 2023, and you're still a freshman. But so you're majoring um, in political science and business administration with a minor in intelligence and national security studies on a pre-law track in the honors program. So. Explain all, <laughs> explain your thinking and your strategy behind that because it's, it's yeah. a lot.
0: Yeah. So in high school, I knew I wanted to do, I knew I thought I wanted to become a lawyer. I'll just start there, freshman year. And because of the real world learning experiences, I was able to partake in throughout high school, which part of it was interning um, in the city manager's office in the city of Olathe. I realized that there's more out there than becoming a lawyer and I was really intrigued by the public administration aspect um, of public service. And so, yeah, I thought I wanted to become a lawyer. Um, And then towards the end of high school, I was like, I think I am. there There is more to public service than becoming a lawyer, but I am still really interested in becoming a lawyer. And so I Applied for the LEAD program at KU, which is the Legal Education Accelerated Degree. And it's a three plus three program. So it's three years of undergrad and three years of law school. And in order to go to law school in that LEAD program, you have to have a certain GPA. You have to get a certain score on the LSAT. And that's automatic admission into KU law if you're in the LEAD program. If I wanna to go to law school outside of KU, I would probably have to drop that program um, to do that. So that was my thinking with the pre-law track. Political science major, I I love politics. I, that's pretty much it. I love politics. I love studying the systems of the government that America was founded on. So that's where that political science major comes in. And then I added midway through freshman year, so kind of end of last semester, I added the intelligence minor because it was super interesting. I mean, we don't really think about national security in that aspect of like studying it, you know? It KU is, I believe, one of 13 schools that has this program in the nation. And we study America, like how America protects its national security, the systems in place, um, the techniques in place, how how you analyze intelligence data. And so, like one of my classes, we're learning about the roots of terrorism how those ideologies actually came to be of like the ideologies of modern terrorism and it's stuff that you don't learn unless you are probably in that class you know and a lot of terrorism and those ideologies are founded on people wanting to govern their own nations it's when colonization comes in and takes place and people are like no we want to govern our own nation we want our ideas and so it, it's just cool to study so that's that minor and then I added the business major because I was looking at my degree of progress report and with my minor and with political science major I would get done with everything midway through junior year which I was like i, I that's early. And so if I don't want to do the lead program, I added the business major so that I can take a few of those business classes, fill up my four years. And also it's something I've always been interested in. Um, it's just not always been like the top priority. And so I feel like being able to study it in college would be super helpful if I end up, for example, owning my own law firm, or, you know, if it's just the basic things of running and operating a business. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my thought process behind that.
2: Yeah. Wow. Um, What would be your uh, ultimate political aspiration? (laughs)
0: Um, I don't really know. I'm going to be honest. I am involved in student Senate at KU. And so it's showing and we're in the election process right now. So it's showing a lot of of politics that you wouldn't see otherwise i feel like um and it's showing a lot of what going into politics is going to look like and for some reason i enjoy it um and so my ultimate political aspiration probably would be running for office on a local level or a state level so senator representative or some type of more local position whether it's like city council or school board so Definitely something local. Well, say. since
2: I'm I'm never going to retire, I I expect a cabinet seat uh, when you're the president of the of the U.S.
0: Perfect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's phenomenal. So yeah, I mean, you have all those majors and minors, and you know, and again, I teach at KU, so I'm, I'm interacting with uh, students uh, a little bit older than you. They're mainly uh, juniors and seniors and some sophomores, but um, yeah, you yeah, you said student uh, senator, but you're and you're also on the finance council of the student senate, and then you're also a member of the South Asian Student Association Executive Board. How do you manage your time? Like, how do you do everything you're doing and the founder and running a not-for-profit <laughs> all as a freshman?
0: That's a loaded question. It's not easy. I, I will say it's not easy, and it comes with its challenges, and uh sometimes it it's mentally tolling to do all of those things I think in college it's easy to compare yourself to other people and say you're not doing enough and I definitely had that feeling beginning of the year where I wanted to be involved in every anything and everything related to politics I wanted to be involved in the dole Institute of politics I wanted to be on the mock trial team I wanted to be in student senate and I wanted to do those fun things like the South Asian Student Association and if I wanted to do anything and everything on the books it's just not possible. And so it really came down to me narrowing what I was super passionate about and my first priority was I've an immigrant. I started this nonprofit organization. It's going great. Um, I have a solid board who believes in the vision and so I need to work on continuing that. I need that needs to be my first priority next to school. I narrowed it down by saying that, okay, that's, that's a fun thing I like doing. I also like Senate. It, it's real world. The, we allocate $22 million in student fees and we help run KU, whether it's we fund the bus system, we fund walk-ins, we fund student organizations, we fund a lot of the events that happen on campus. So student Senate makes those decisions. They're important decisions. They influence the student body. Each student pays a, around $500 when they enroll in KU. It's part of their tuition fees, and we gather all of those and choose how to allocate it. So that was very important to me, which is also why I joined the Finance Committee because it has a more hands on effect on the student body because we vote on legislation that funds different things. So that was my thinking behind choosing Student Senate. And then south asian student association which we call sasa is a fun thing you know i'm punjabi and not many people at ku are punjabi or in the broader in the broader perspective of that club south asian and so being able to be on a club that is all about your identity and where you come from and being around those people that uh that are like you can be comforting at times and so Those are my big three things on top of school. And so I think for me, time management really comes down to that, choosing what I prioritize, what is more important to me. Uh, For example, last night we had a board meeting and I had a student senate thing. Well, student senate thing was also kind of important, but my board meeting in that case was more important. And so I chose to prioritize that. Um, I think one other thing that really helps me in the time management is Getting into a routine. I'm a big routine person. So in the mornings, having a routine of what I need to do to get ready for the day, having my schedule for the day, and then having a solid routine at night to kind of unwind and be done. I think as a college student, it's super easy to, you know, get home at 10 o'clock from your last meeting and then be like, oh my God, I have this assignment due at 12. I need to get it done. And then you're up until 12, finishing your assignments. And then you're like, okay, I'm up. So like, I might as well do this and this. Super easy to do that in college. It's just not super healthy. And so I think time management goes into all of that. Not perfect at it. I think it's still something that I need to figure out. So it's something I need to develop. I don't think it'll ever get easy for me to figure out how to do everything all at once. But I feel like when you're passionate about certain things, it does get easier to to kind of make it work.
2: So I'm a big Tim Ferriss podcast fan. I've been listening for years and try to model my uh, podcasts after his in a different realm. But you know, he he asks his guests about their morning routine all the time. So would you would you like to uh, share yours?
0: <laughs> sure. So I am not a night person. Uh, you'll find that a lot in college. I, I can't do it. I cannot stay up and I can't. So I I'm a more I'm an early morning riser. So I not super early morning compared to corporate the corporate world, but early morning for college kid. So I try to wake up around 8 8:30 sometimes the challenge and I will wake up around 9 and from there I will get ready for the day. So I will go shower, I'll make myself breakfast, I'll get ready, get dressed, whatever. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have class at 11. So I'm off to class on Monday, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays in virtual. And so after I do that in the mornings, I also try to journal and write like daily affirmations just to kind of get started on the right foot. It's not super easy all the time just because like depending on the day, I might have something at like eight in the morning. So I'll have to wake up earlier. Um, and do that morning routine earlier. So it just really depends. But yeah, try to journal. And then I I was not a breakfast person at first, but I think becoming a breakfast person now, I think it's super important to start your day off with a solid meal. And that's also sometimes taught as a college student. So whether it's a granola bar and a cup of coffee, I'll take it. And so, yeah, I have a pretty basic and easy morning routine. But I think just being in a routine in the morning is what helps me set set like the right foot forward for my day. It's a solid foundation that I can rely on. I know that no matter when I when I wake up in the morning, this is what my morning is going to look like, and I rely on that a lot.
2: Yeah, Jocko Willett, the ex Navy Seal. His first book, and I'm forgetting the name, but he basically says discipline equals freedom. You know, so it, yeah. and I, you're well wise beyond uh, beyond your years. So it's phenomenal. Um, just that you know, I usually ask for career advice. For uh, but I'm going to ask you to impart any advice you would have for your colleagues in in college, in terms of you know, advice in terms of developing a career plan, or at least getting their first job, or any type of advice you want to give them.
0: I think it's super easy to doubt yourself when you're in college. It's super easy to think that you're not good enough your portfolio is not good enough. You don't have the skills. For me, it is super easy for me to tell myself that I don't belong in certain spaces because of my age, because I'm a woman, because I'm brown, you know, the imposter syndrome of all of that. And I think it's, it's normal. But I think when you're getting ready to start your career or start a project, it's super important to rely on yourself and believe in yourself and believe in your mission and what what you are trying to do and also I would say rely on your mentors it sometimes you might think that like there's no one there to help or support you but there's someone out there that that will support you and your mission and your goals and it's super important uh, especially at my age in this world to find someone that you can go to when you have those challenging questions of what do I do in the situation where x y and z is happening in, in the business world you know A lot of times I have an immigrant. I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what's next, you know? And so being able to rely on my mentors, being able to rely on my board, finding a a solid support system and also getting into a routine. Don't push, push yourself, of course, but don't push yourself over the edge to where it becomes damaging, to where you can't take care of yourself. It's super easy to do that in college, I would say. Also, I think a lot of unhealthy habits dwell in college. And so working against those, um, finding ways that, finding ways to do things that work for you. And on the flip side of that, I will also add for those that are older than me and are looking at college students, believe in them. You don't know someone's potential until you get to know them, until you meet them. If you just looked at my title, 17-year-old student wanting to start a nonprofit versus getting to know me, you'll probably have a different perspective about who I am. And so I think for those that are older, it's very important to believe in young people. And also when you're hiring interns or you're hiring beginning level positions, get to know the people you're working with. Everyone has a super unique story. And I think it's important that as leaders, we get to know those stories because an intern might come in and bring a super unique idea to your business that might transform your business. You don't know. And so I think it's super important to believe in those young people.
2: Komo, great advice, uh, not only for your peers, (laughs) but to the older people like myself to uh, make sure they're uh, empathetic and can understand uh, the uh, recent college graduates and interns perspective because good ideas come from anywhere. So that's great. Um, If people are moved by your story um, and what you're trying to do and wanna help, uh, how can they uh, donate?
0: You can donate by going to iofanimmigrant.org. There is a donate tab, and so yeah, please donate if you have. If you want to get to know me, or if you have more questions, please feel free to reach out. You can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, on I have an immigrant. I probably have my email linked there on the website. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I'll I'll put the uh, link on your on the uh, bio for the episode so that. People can uh, have easy access to it. So, Kamal, you're, you're fabulous. You're inspiring. I'm glad I know you, and I'm glad I can be a small part of uh, the success that's going to happen with Eye of the Immigrant. So thank you for coming on the, uh, the show.
0: I appreciate all your support, and thank you for having me.
2: Well, I've enjoyed all the interviews I've done so far for the corporate couch. But, oh, Komal's just so fascinating. 18 years old, and she's just lighting the world on fire already. I mean, we've interviewed guests here, Joe, from 35 years old to 65 and here she comes in at 18 and doing all the great things she's doing. She's going to be a person to watch uh, for sure as she uh, gets into her professional career since she's only a freshman at the University of Kansas right now. But what was your uh, big takeaway?
1: I tell you, high school senior slash college freshman with that kind of poise and that kind of maturity and give an interview like that, I look back on what I was like when I was 18 years old and a college freshman, I wasn't anywhere close to that. I was uh, totally awkward. I would not have been able to be interviewed like that. And that shows you that there is something something going on with her to grow up under the conditions that she grew up in, and uh, come out of that with that much poise and that much maturity. You wait 10, 15, 20 years from now, she is going to be on fire. In the, um, in the business or the political world, whatever she decides to do, it's going to be amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, at 12 years old, uh, her and her older brother were reading all the legal documents for him and translating because yeah. they knew English, they were born in, you know... Uh... Queens, New York, I mean, just, just really incredible. And, uh, you know, I have a chance to uh, spend a lot of time with Comal because uh, she's my boss. I'm on the board of the eye of the immigrants. So just, uh, it's, it's just incredible to watch. And, and the, she's never had a public speaking, formal training. That's all
1: natural. It's, it's natural. She got she it from, is. you know,
2: did debate in high school, but I mean, it's just phenomenal. It's, it's just amazing. really phenomenal. So based on that, uh, uh episode, what leadership, uh, advice would you want to uh, share with the audience today?
1: Well, we're going to go back to the great philosopher Michael Scott, who, who one time said, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked, I enjoy being liked, I have to be liked, but it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.